Well, we're to the end of our study in Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, I was thinking about it this, this last week. I think we started last October, right around the time of our annual meeting, you know, with the, uh, just the intent of, of going through these books and seeing what, uh, what God did with, with his people as they returned from exile and how he rebuilt, how he used them. He, he was faithful to them. They were faithful to him. Kind of, and you know, I, w- I would love, I would love when, if we got to this last chapter and we could say, and everything was great and they lived happily ever after. But you know, the thing about God's word is that uh, it, it tells it like it happened. You know, it doesn't doesn't whitewash anything. And you get to the you get to this chapter and you just go, oh come on, guys, not not again. Not again. We've seen this before. We've seen this this cycle of following God and then drifting off. Consider the uh, mission statement of, of this. There's a well-known university. This was this was the mission statement when it was uh, created. <laughs> to be plain, excuse me. To be plainly instructed and consider well. The main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. This was a, a university that was founded in the 1600s, 1636. And this university employed uh, exclusively Christian professors. It emphasized character formation of, in its students above all else. It uh, placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to uh, preach the good news, the gospel. That was the the purpose of this university when it was founded. Every diploma read Veritas Pro Christo et Ecclesia, which means truth for Christ in the church. And you've probably heard of this school. Does anybody have a guess what what school I'm talking about? Harvard, yes. You know, those Ivy League schools were all founded as, as Christian schools. Now, only 80 years after its founding, uh, a group of New England pastors uh, sensed that Harvard had, had drifted too far for their liking. They were, they were concerned by the uh, secularization at Harvard, and so they approached a wealthy ph- philanthropist who shared their concerns. This man was named Elihu Yale, and he financed their efforts in 1718, and they called the college Yale University. Yale's motto was Lux et Veritas, light and truth. Now today's, uh, well today uh, Yale's, they, they shorten it, it's just truth. They, they drop the, the light part. Anyway, Harvard's and Yale's legacy of academic excellence are, are still intact, but neither school's uh, any, in any way resembles the, the vision of, of their founders. And at the uh, 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, uh, Stephen Moeller, who's the former president of John Hopkins University, bluntly stated, the bad news is the university has become godless. Uh, Larry Summers, the former president of Harvard, confessed, things divine have been central neither to my profession nor to my personal life. 
And Harvard and Yale's founders uh, were unmistakably clear in, in their goals, academic excellence and, and Christian formation. But today we see something very different from their founding purpose. And what has happened to these two schools is called mission drift. Mission drift. And that's a danger to us all, by the way. You know, we can experience mission drift in our, our personal lives, in our, in our walk with Christ. You know, we can be walking with him and drift off. Drift off. This can happen in churches too. What causes it? What causes mission tri- drift? And and you know how do we how do we keep it from happening? And what do we do when when we find ourselves having having drifted? And this morning, as we as we come to this last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter thirteen. Again, you know, we what what would we like to see? We would like to see a people on mission. You know, a, a thriving community of God, a, a community of God's people oh, hearing the word, knowing it, obeying it, walking in it, you know, living lives that are, that are pleasing to God. You know, we, we'd like to conclude with uh, God's people being utterly faithful to God in, in everything they do. You know, we, we'd like to see the, the book end that way, but we don't. Instead, we see this, this mission drift that, that I'm talking about. You know, the people have found themselves drifting away, going back to their old ways yet once again. Well, read with me in your Bibles, uh, Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should enter the ever assembly, ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against those, against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. And as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. But before this. Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the church of the house over God, who was related to Tobiah. Do you remember Tobiah? He prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is speaking here. I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I went to the king. After some time, I had asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw out the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, and I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and frankincense. I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did all the work had fled each to his field. And I confronted the officials And I said, why is the house of God forsaken? 
And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the wine, and the oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Bediah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachur, son of Madaniah, for they were considered reliable. And their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember, O God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not God bring all this disaster on us in this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be open until the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time, they did not come on the Sabbath. (laughs) Then I commanded that the Levites, commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days I also saw Jews that had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not even speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women caused him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O God, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign and I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites each in his work. 
And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Let's pray. Oh Lord, um, as, as we read this, we just see that uh, we are so prone to wander. Lord, we are so prone to uh, drift from the the mission you've given us from from your commandments, Lord. We just like the like it says in the Proverbs, a, a dog returns to its own vomit. Lord, speak to us today from your word and and penetrate our hearts. Lord, change us. Lord, give us just a burning desire to do your your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So would would you agree with me things are kind of off kilter here? Things are a little bit out of uh, out of whack. You know, it's it's definitely mission drift that, that Nehemiah sees when he when he comes back. You know, we we find that Nehemiah had, had gone back to Susa, remember where he was the uh, the the wine taster, he was the assistant to the uh, the king of Persia. And remember back in chapter one and two that you know the king had sent him temporarily. Remember he he said, you know, go there, but let's agree on a time that you, that you come back. Well he had gone back, and in his absence People had drifted back into their old sins. You know, the same ones. Uh, spiritual decay was, was setting in. Nehemiah had came back, had come back into a, a downward spiral. This was uh, 12 years after the, the first time that he came to Jerusalem with his God-given vision to, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls and, and the gates and restore this city to the, the glory of, of, the, of God, you know, the city of God, Zion, this precious, beloved city of, of God. You know, a lot of damage can, can occur in just a few years. You know, there's a there's a word that seems to me has kind of uh, fallen in into uh, disuse. I I used to hear this word a lot more often than I than I hear it now. It's a it's a very self descriptive word. It it's a word that describes sliding back. Instead of moving forward, you're you're moving backwards. You know, it's a it's a following away. It's a a, a turning away from God, turning back to your sin. What's the word? Backsliding. Backsliding. You know, if you're, if you're a backslider, what does that mean? You're, you're losing ground. You're not gaining ground. You're not even staying in the same place. You're, you're going backwards. And that's what we see here in this last chapter of Nehemiah. The people have backslidden. And, uh, you know, what I'd like to do is pull out of this chapter three things, three things that have been uh, misplaced or misaligned. And these are uh, misplaced alliances, misplaced loyalty, and misplaced priorities. Let's look at the first, misplaced loyalty. You know, this, the, the timeline of this chapter is a little bit confusing. You've got to read through it a few times before you kind of see what's going on because... Chapter 13 begins with the narrative shifting 
really to the uh, the future of the story. You know, it's it's actually sometime uh, after the end of chapter twelve, and then in verse four, it it, it goes back in time. We'll begin with verse 4, and and we'll go back to the first few verses shortly when we talk about the uh, misplaced alliances. So in verse 4, we run into this priest who is named Eliashib. We saw him back in chapter 3. You probably don't remember with so so many names. But Eliashib was the high priest. Uh, Back in chapter 3, Eliashib and his brothers had uh, rebuilt the sheep gate. Now, some, some commentators say, well, this is probably a different guy. Most of them, though, say that uh, it appears that this is the same Eliashib. It doesn't really matter for the story, though. It's, it's a minor point. But now he's in charge of the, uh, the chambers, the, the rooms in the, uh, in the temple. And we learn that he's related to Tobiah. Now, Tobiah is this, this sort of villain that kept showing up throughout this this book remember in chapter two he was in league with Sanballat he was remember he was upset that anyone would come and seek the welfare of the people it upset him that Nehemiah came back to to do this good work he was an Ammonite he was he was a foreigner he had jeered Nehemiah and his plan to to rebuild the temple. He was part of the plot to fight against the people of Israel and to cause confusion. He had hired a false prophet to prophesy against the people of Israel. He had sent threatening letters to, to Nehemiah to intimidate him. Nehemiah had said in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. And talking to this Tobiah, he says, but you have no portion or claim in Jerusalem. So what does Eliashib, the high priest, do? He invites him in. He gives him a place to, to live in the temple. Oh, we've got a room over here. We're going to make you an apartment in, in God's house. Oh, well, you know, there's, there's this stuff in here we'll have to clear out. It's, you know, it's things associated with uh, giving sacrifices to the Lord. We'll, we'll clear that out. You just got to say, oh, man, Eliashib, don't do this. In verse 5, Eliashib prepared for Tobiah a a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, the wine and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and contributions for the priests. Why would he do this? Why? The only thing that's given is that they were related. They were related to each other. Uh, Eliashib's loyalty to his relative overrode his dedication and his responsibility to the to the house of God, this holy temple of God. This is misplaced loyalty based on relationship. You know, we need to decide where our our loyalties lie. 
And this can be tough. You know, we, we might be related to someone. We might have a 50-year friendship with someone. You know, there may be a time when your faithfulness to God is put to the test. When you feel like you need to disobey God and be loyal to a friend or a relative. You know, Jesus had said later on, several hundred years later in Matthew 10, 37, this, which is kind of a shocking statement. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, Eliashib gave up the right thing. He sacrificed what was right. He, you know, he ignored what Tobiah had done. He ignored Tobiah's intent to uh, destroy and to lie and threaten and slander. And he gave him a place in the house of God, a place to live. And some would say, oh, isn't that nice? Eliashib is so loving and forgiving, isn't he? What What a great act of kindness this is. You know, giving his relative a nice place to live. But it's wrong. It's wrong for a number of reasons. You know, at least three things I can think of that, are, that point to the wrongness of this. Tobiah was not of God. He was not an Israelite. He was not part of the covenant community. He had nothing to do with God. Number two, Tobiah was bent on destroying the work of God. Number three, the, Tobiah's chamber, this, this large chamber, it says, uh, displaced the holy things of God. You know, these, the vessels, the grain, the wine, the oil that were meant for, for the worship of God in, in, this, in this holy temple and sacrifice. Now next, and this is, this is really close to misplaced uh, loyalties, is misplaced alliances. You know, just a few years of, of Nehemiah's absence, the people had returned to the practice of intermarrying. You know, this is something that has come up a couple times in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, they returned to this intermarrying the, with the people around them. You know, through marriage, they were creating alliances with people who were not of God, people who were against God. They were allowing themselves to become re-immersed into pagan culture, godless culture of the people. And you know, he even points out, well, the people had even forgot the, uh, the language of God's people and they, they only understood the language of, of the people around them that they were forming these alliances with by intermarriage. You know, these were the kinds of things that brought God's judgment on the people in the first place. These are the things that resulted in the people being exiled. And Nehemiah points this out. You know, this has been happening for for a long time. This has happened repeatedly. He says even Solomon, you know, Solomon's the the supposedly the wisest man in the world. Remember, he had requested of God this one thing that that God would give him wisdom, and God honored that. But apparently his wisdom was not complete because 
he allowed himself to uh, form alliances through intermarriage with many, many foreign women. Uh, you know, you can you can just hear the utter frustration in in Nehemiah as, as he's saying these things. You know, oh man, um, come on, guys, what were you thinking? What are you thinking? Do you really want to bring back God's judgment on us? In the New Testament, in the letter that James writes, uh, James 4, 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's what's happening here. You know, this doesn't mean that we avoid people who are unbelievers. Not at all. It does not mean that we should withdraw from the world. You know, God has, God has put us here for a reason. He's put us here for a purpose that we would be a witness to him, that we're to be a light in this world, that we're to be uh, influencers for Christ, you know, leading people to him, leading people to Jesus, uh, leading the, the lost to, to the truth, being, being the salt of the earth. You know, we're, we're to be the influencers, not the influenced And this is the problem that Nehemiah came home to. Uh, The people of God have been enticed into becoming, once again, like the people around them, immersed in idolatry and walking away from God. Now, the first few verses of chapter 13 then took place after this. You know, the people read from the scripture... They realized that the Ammonites and Moabites were not to enter into the assembly of the Lord. And it says they disassociated from the people of foreign descent. They obey. They do what's right. Just as they had done before. So we see we, we drift. We drift away from our mission. We drift away from our mission when we are misaligned in our, our loyalties, our alliances. These are, these are relational issues. Now, the third, the third area is misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. Back in chapter 10, I want you to recall, the people had made a commitment, a solemn commitment. The people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grains, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. And what did they say? We will not neglect the house of God. Do you remember that? We will not neglect the house of God. And they meant it, at least for the moment. You know, now... now Nehemiah is asking them a, a very pointed question. You know, you're the people who said we will not g- neglect the house of God. Nehemiah asks the question, why is the house of God then forsaken? This, this word translated forsaken, it's, it's the, the Hebrew word that is also uh, sometimes translated neglect, abandonment. Why have you neglected and abandoned the house of God? You know, have you ever seen a house that's been neglected and abandoned and just left 
to the elements, what happens? It stays really nice, right? You know, we for for several years we lived in Nebraska, and there were it was kind of weird. There'd be these farmhouses you drive past where, you know, at, at some point that was somebody's dream. That house they built it, and families lived in it. But now there's gaping holes in the roof, and the you know the the vegetation's taking over. It's just rotting. That's what Nehemiah is saying here. Why are you letting the house of God, of God decay? Why are you letting it rot? You know, chapter 10, the care of the house of God was, was given in terms of these, these same things. You know, the, the priestly class, the, uh, the Levite, the Levites bringing the contributions of the people, the grain, the wine, the oil, You know, now they had neglected their their duty. They'd gone back on their, their promise. The the temple and the, the temple service had, had taken on a, a very, very low priority now. You know, instead of the temple being the house of prayer, remember God said through the prophet Isaiah, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. For all peoples, it's not that anymore. Instead of a house of prayer and worship, now it's become something to be ignored, something to be neglected, something to be let go. You know, where where these things had once been stored in these chambers, now we have some guy that hates God and hates the people living there. It's, it's, it's Tobiah's base of operations now, the, the enemy of God, the enemy of the house of God, the Levites, the, the priestly tribe who are in charge of, of serving in temple, who are in charge of, of the worship of God in the temple. They'd been essentially driven out. They were forced to flee to their towns outside of, of Jerusalem. You know, they've, they'd had, they've had to go back to their, their fields and they've been forced to uh, forsake the, the work of God. You know, at some point, at some point, people had forgotten their, their sacred oath. Their, their priorities had changed. Their priorities were misplaced, misaligned. Mission drift. They were they were disobeying the Sabbath laws. They were they were buying and selling and working and loading cargo, unloading cargo. It says these are the kind of things that brought on God's judgment in the past. You know, along the way, as we've been going through Ezra and Nehemiah, um, I've been rereading the the book of Jeremiah, and uh, you know, I had I had some extended time. Back in March, where I attended a, a pastor's prayer summit in Oregon, and uh, fairly long drive, I, I, I listened to the Book of Jeremiah on the way there on, on audio in, in my car. And uh, you know, as I as I listened to it, I just kept hearing God's warnings over and over against the sins of disobedience and rebellion. 
you know, Nehemiah is addressing these, these very things. You know, Jeremiah seventeen twenty says, "Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates." Thus says the Lord: Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but on the Sabbath day or excuse me, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I have commanded your fathers. Verse 23 says, Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they would not receive or hear instruction. And God allowed them to be exiled. God in his mercy and grace brought them back and now they're doing the same thing. Mission drift. What's the solution? Now I keep hearing in my head that, that the verse from that song that says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And that's us, isn't it? In, in Revelation 2, 4, and 5, uh, Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus just as he's going through and talking to several churches. He says this to the the church in Ephesus, I have this one thing against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. That's the solution, isn't it? Repentance. Repentance. He says, realign your loyalties. Set your, set your priorities straight. Make sure you're aligned with the right people. And that's what we see Nehemiah do here, here in this chapter. Nehemiah tossed Tobiah out along with his belongings. You know, he, he reinforced what he'd already told Tobiah earlier in, in the book. You have no part in this. He forcibly removed Tobiah from the temple. He, he brought back the holy things into the chambers. He, he restored the livelihoods and, and the work of the, uh, the Levites. He, he restored and he enforced the observance of the Sabbath. And he appointed reliable people, it says. He says, I've appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shilamiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zachar, son of Madaniah, for they were considered reliable. You know, it's always good to have reliable people, right? Uh, yeah, that's the one thing I really appreciate about you guys, about this church. Uh, you know, things, are, things get done. Things get done. Uh, always reliably and, and dependably. You know, it's, it's a joy. It's a joy to be part of this church. Mission drift. Author Jeffrey Arthurs in a sermon, he said this, when you are in danger of drifting spiritually, you must listen to God's word. Look at the signs which confirm that message, then stop to assess whether or not you're drifting. 
God's word is so important. This is, this is what's happening in the first few verses of, of the, the chapter. People are going back to God's word. And as, as people are looking into God's word, they then seek to do God's will. Uh, yeah, we, need, we need God's word. We need to be in God's word daily. Psalm 119. Read that book. Read that, that chapter of Psalm 119. It's about God's word, but a few verses here. Verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. General William Booth, he was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he he said to a group of new officers once, he says, I want you young men always to bear in mind that it's it's the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and and fed and the ashes removed. Let's let's do this. Let's be people of of repentance, removing those, those ashes, keeping that fire alive with the flames of, of God's word in our, our hearts. Let's keep it hot by the, the breath of the Spirit. You know, when we, when we get away from God's word, when we do that, we drift, we wander, we, we backslide. Think about it. How much, how much time have each of us wasted in our lives because of, of drifting and, and backsliding? I know I have. You know, is, is there an area in our lives, is there an area in, in your life where, where you've been drifting, where your, your alliances, your loyalties, your priorities have been misplaced? I've done all those things, you know, where, where we've strayed, drifted into old ways, drifting from the daily walk in Christ. It's a, it's a constant realignment that's, that's needed. What are we to do? We are to reorient. I've heard that the book of Psalms follows a pattern of orientation disorientation and reorientation. As you read through the Psalms, you you see that pattern and we see that pattern with the people of God and we see that pattern in our our own lives. What do we do? We reorient, we confess, we come without excuse to the God of mercy and can confess our sins. We might have to at times recover some lost ground we need to come to Jesus day after day day after day come to Jesus let's pray oh Lord uh, we, we praise you for your goodness uh, your, your loving kindness towards us your, your patience with us Lord we are all prone to wander and leave the God we love um, 
We know that it's, it's your desire that uh, all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Uh, Lord, keep us, keep us on mission, Lord. This, this, uh, your church, Lord. We know, we acknowledge that it's your desire that this church be a house of prayer for all peoples. Uh, Lord, keep us from drifting from, from the mission that, that you've given us, the mission to uh, be your, your witnesses, Lord, to be empowered by your spirit to go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing and teaching the things that, that you've commanded, Lord. Guard us, Lord. Guard our hearts and minds. We need you so desperately. Lord, help us to uh, order our priorities, Lord, that our, our wills would be aligned with yours. And Lord, today as we, uh, as we come to the, the communion table, we, we celebrate what you have done. Lord, draw us close to you. And uh, Lord, help us. Help us. May we, may we be eager to maintain the bond of unity. In Jesus' name, amen.